Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me. We're a podcast for entrepreneurs and founders and startups and also the angels, venture capitalists, family offices, investment firms who want to know all about them. Um, you can find us on all the major platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Audible, Amazon. Give us a rating. Make sure to subscribe. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Michael Conniff, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-C-O-N-N. IFF, and also at michaelconniff.com, my website. Today, we are really happy to be joined by Amina Patterson, coming to us from uh, Johannesburg, uh, South Africa, Africa from Joburg, and she is the head of operations, head of business operations at Alpha Code. Welcome. Thank you for uh, having Amina, me, Amina, great to have you with us. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I think there was just a slight delay there, but thanks for having me. Yeah, well, Will, through the magic of modern technology, we kind of make those delays go away, hopefully, in the uh, in the post-processing. But it's great to have you with us. So um, why don't, for starters, um, tell us um, a little bit about Alpha Code and uh, what you do for um, startups. I think it's probably fair to call you a uh, an accelerator. Is that right? That's correct. Um, so in 2015, AlphaCode was founded by Rand Merchant Investment Holdings, and Rand Merchant Investment Holdings um, is really um, investment holdings is really an entity that has invested in some of South Africa's greatest financial services um, organizations. And so they founded AlphaCode with the ambitions of finding the next generation of um, you know top entrepreneurial talent. Um, and ideas um, that they could, you know, in the long term build pipeline from and invest in. So that's where AlphaCode was founded. And historically, it was a fintech accelerator. Over the past few years, we've adjusted that mandate to be a lot more inclusive of, of tech enabled early stage startups. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so what is the startup scene like in um, in Johannesburg? I I think uh, back here on the east coast of the United States, um, I really I sense there's quite a bit of activity, but I really have no idea exactly uh, what level that has risen to. Tell me about the startup scene there. I'm I'm so glad you asked that because often we speak about Cape Town and the entrepreneurs in Cape Town, and there's a lot happening from an investor perspective um, in, in in Cape Town. But in Johannesburg, uh, you know, it's really a vibrant ecosystem. It's matured significantly over the past four years, um, and I would mm -hmm. say, you know, what what I find the entrepreneurs to be doing is, is are really incredible things. If I look at our last cohort. You know, what gets me excited is they, they definitely are tenacious entrepreneurs solving, you know, even bigger problems. Um, and most of the businesses that we incubated over the past um, year were founded during the pandemic, where there was limited access to, to customers and they had to be created around how creative around how they get access to those customers to validate mm -hmm. whether they have a, a solid business model um, and, 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 and market for, for their product. And give us some examples. So what kind of companies uh, came out of the accelerator in the last year? So Last Mile Delivery was uh, one of the businesses that um, I think did quite well over the uh, during the pandemic. And now we're seeing that there's a change. But the difference or the nuance that exists, you know, versus an Uber Eats or any of the, you know, Postmates or any of the other delivery um, home, like, you know, food delivery services or anything of, of that nature is that South Africa has a dual economy. 
And in our dual economy, we have a, a really large informal market, which co contributes significantly to the economy. And so, but it's really underserviced because, you know, most established corporates don't understand um, that sector quite well and how to uh, penetrate that market. And so uh, part of the, the reason why is because it's really cash um, cash biased in the way that, uh, you know, the market in, engages with, with each other. But also there's a lack of understanding of, of the people in that space. And so what I think being customer centric and, and being customer first, we found entrepreneurs coming up with really like interesting ideas. Um, there's a company called Tumela, which leverages taxi drivers. Um, and as you know, South Africa doesn't have a formal um, or as developed uh, transport system as the rest of the world. And so we rely very much on something called taxis, which is like a, a minibus uh, that transports everyone around. And they're leveraging those minibuses for making deliveries, like an Amazon delivery or, um, you know, any other type of delivery that you need to do, food or, or goods. So that was one innovation, which is quite interesting. And they're thinking out of the box. And there's many examples like that business um, coming to the fore. And what they also are enabling these taxi drivers to do is really be, adopt, um, adopt, you know, go digital, <laughs> um, move away from cash by creating payments, uh, payment platforms specifically tailored for taxi drivers. So they're not just solving for, you know, last mile delivery, but they're also solving for how um, people within that market transact with one another and actually in promoting a greater digital adoption within that informal sector. Um, and then another yeah, yeah. great, yeah. you know, sorry, don't sorry, Michael, I could talk all day about this. So please. Like, no, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. We've had a bit of a delay. No, you keep going. I mean, you're doing good. Keep going. Tell us more. Sure. And so then, um, you know, another business, which was like for me really exciting because she, she just managed to, um, you know, achieve somewhat of an exit actually to a, to a, um, uh, I, I think it's, I, I, excuse me, Utah based entity, but, um, it was really about taking, um, conversational data and turning that into insights, um, somewhat of a behavioral tech mm. business, um, data tech business. And what I love about that is, you know, the founder is a female founder, which in our space is actually limited. I think globally, we've seen that female founders are underrepresented and also um, underinvested in. And so with with what I love about our, our existing cohort, actually, there were five female founders from a cohort of eight um, startups. So she was one of them. And she came up with this, this uh, conversation, turning conversational data into insights. In actual fact, she can take any type of data, your email threads, um, conversations via Zoom and really provide in insights into what the sentiment of that conversation is. That's particularly useful for financial services and other, and other organizations that make use of um, your, um, forgive me, your uh, call centers, call centers. But also it mm -hmm. enables not just from a customer perspective to provide insights into customer sent in, um, sentiment, but more importantly, the employee experience. And as we've seen globally, there's a great resignation happening. And I don't think that's we're at the end of that. And so what I love about her, the applications to the technology that she's built is it's quite wide in, in enhancing the human experience, whether you're a customer or an employee or a manager trying to get the best out of your team.
and retain them. You know, she can actually identify what those levers could be. So those are just two examples of like, you know, a cohort of eight where we also have health tech, which is trying to democratize access to health care. There's so many examples I could go on and on. Well, no, we, we don't mind it if you go on and on. I, I must say, it's always great to talk to somebody so, from South Africa. They sound so sophisticated with that wonderful accent. Um, and you certainly do too. So so um, it's ni- nice to hear that lilting uh, voice uh, that, that's different than the English or Australian accent. And actually, I always think it's a little more refined. So um, don't, don't worry about going on. We like that. We like it when you go on. This is a podcast. You're supposed to go on. Awesome. So um, let me ask you this. So you gave some great examples. <laughs> you gave some great examples. Let me ask you specifically, what did the Alpha Code Accelerator do to help those companies and other companies? Sure. So we've helped entrepreneurs in, in there's different programs that we've had over the past few years. We've had Explore, which actually was about building, you know, when we came into the space, I mean, 2015, the ecosystem was incredibly nascent. Um, and it, I think, you know, what we, we have a term that we phrase, we called corporate refugees. So these are talented individuals that are in a corporate job with the wealth of experience and knowledge, but they, you know, for multiple reasons, financial security, they just are a little bit afraid of taking the leap into starting and launching their own business and particularly to explore and play around. And I think that's one of the gaps that we identified is that in the South African landscape, there isn't you know, as much as people can say they have pre-seed and seed funding, it's really limited. Uh, I actually don't even believe a lot of the pre-seed and seed funding in in the space um, is is really that, you know, at the core of it, because we're so risk averse. And so, you know, thanks to the vision of of Rand Merchant Investments, they had done, you know, a few, they had participated in a few Series A and Series B um, deals um, where we've invested in really successful businesses um, within the you know tech space, fintech space specifically. And they they saw an opportunity to really seed ideas, which is what the funding is there for, gr- with grant funding initially to give entrepreneurs the opportunity to leave their jobs or take a break. Initially we gave a million rand um, to entrepreneurs, which was is quite significant in our landscape. We've adjusted that over the years and what is that in terms of dollars? A million rand is how many dollars? Um, I would say, let me double check for you, but I think it's about, I'll check actually quickly. Um, it's about, let's do that. 50, $55,000. Oh, okay. So yeah, that is significant. Yes. Yeah. So initially okay. we started. So you there. give them, you get them some money. Yeah. So yeah, initially we, we, st- yeah. we started giving entrepreneurs a million rand because that would be what would you know provide funding for at least a year where you could leave your job and actually engage. But we quickly realized that actually what you then have is a cohort that um, you've given this money up front and not everyone in that cohort is going to be there with the right value system and the right intentions of building a business. So we adapted that model to rather give 150,000 rand, which is like 10,000 under 10,000 um dollars and in a period of three to five months they go to through really an extreme and intensive program where we look at all the you know startup fundamentals like if you're going to launch a business what are the the fundamentals that you need we look at customers you know um, customer discovery you know making sure that your market language uh, fit is correct 
um, real value proposition, you know, the commercials of the business, the product itself, um, and then also the operations. You know, do you have the right team, the right tech to build a scalable business? So it's quite intensive. And, and you know, just the cycle of how that works is that, you know, they meet. We meet literally once a week. We have an education stream and a feedback stream because in the feedback stream, we enable peer-to-peer learning. So outside of just the funding, we actually have a really, I want to say we have a strong mentor support system which is providing tailored support to each of the businesses. And then we also have, a, a, we create a sense of community amongst each cohort so that there's peer-to-peer learning. So that's in phase one. And then what we do is we drive competition amongst entrepreneurs so that at demo day, they can pitch for you know another 30,000 US dollars um, for the next phase of their business. And um, that has proven to be a successful model for us in, in really finding the cream of the crop of entrepreneurs in the space. That's exciting. Now, you you did mention in passing that um, it sounded like you said South Africans are risk averse. Is that true? Kind of as a general cultural trait that uh, South Africans don't like to be in risky businesses in particular? Is that true? So, So let me clarify. I think the first part is that we have exceptional talent. You know, we... If you think about the biggest problems, financial inclusion, um, access to healthcare, you know, take any of the, the challenges that you, that you find, you'll find a South African trying to find, like solve for it. Um, so we have a really tenacious people who've got a great sense of humor, who are willing to, you know, dive head first into tackling some of these challenges. On the flip side, though, is where we get access to funding is challenging because corporate Corporates who are interested in corporate venturing are often risk averse. They want to see businesses at a later stage and investors want to see businesses at a later stage, even if they say they pre-seed or seed investors. The challenge with that is we're not Mm -hmm. building a pipeline because we're not investing in a pipeline of this talent, this incredible or extraordinary talent that we have in the country. Um, And so, you know, a lot of the comments are around, there isn't a lack of funding in the space. It's it's the mismatch of funding to the mandates or, or to the need. Let's put it that the mandates and the need, you know, there's a clash in, in that. So that's where the risk aversion comes from. It's really with where we're getting the corporate sponsorship or outside of corporate sponsorship, just investors investing in the space with early stage startups. But maybe you don't have the mentality like you have here in the Silicon Valley in the United States or other parts of the United States that you have to, you know, it's a, it's a game of risk. You have to you have to play it. You have to play it aggressively. You have to put a lot of bets down uh, just to get one thing to pay off. Um, um, so that is kind of an obstacle, it sounds like, that a South African op- entrepreneur has to overcome. Is that right? You've hit the nail on the head. You know, like there's... I would honestly say there's a handful of investors that are actively, you know, um, investing in early stage startups and have that mentality. But I think many of them have actually studied or worked abroad and understand how to manage that risk appropriately and understand that if there's one big payoff, it's a huge payoff that covers all the risk. Mm -hmm. So I think also the other challenges, you know, look, slowly but surely it is changing corporates are also becoming a lot more open because and the reason why i mentioned corporates they're really key to this conversation is because often entrepreneurs have to you know fight between do i have to get access to market or do i get an investor on on board first because investors want to see traction 
And um, the, the entrepreneurs to get traction almost have to go through a sales cycle because that's the mentality locally is to go through a sales cycle to get an opportunity to just validate or get access to anonymized data to validate whether their product works or not, or that there is a market for their business. And so that's the challenge. And a, and a sales cycle in South Africa can take 18 to 24 months. So by that point, the entrepreneur has completely burned through their cash. And that's often the demise of, of early stage startups in our, in our landscape. So why I mentioned corporates is because if we had more corporates engaged in looking at uh, corporate venturing solutions, you know, we can create these sandboxes where there's an exchange of value. You know, you have entrepreneurs that are obsessed about the prob these problems and creating value for these cuts, the same customers that corporates are looking to service. Mm -hmm. And they're agile and can provide these solutions a lot quicker or at least validate a lot quicker than driving a monolithic project that's overfunded and never gets off the ground. So it's slowly but surely mm. changing but it is change i think the rate of change is coming at, at an expense at an expense to um, our entrepreneurs and to the space in driving innovation there's no reason why south africa couldn't leapfrog into the fourth and fifth industrial revolution um because of we, we're not lacking in talent we're lacking in i think it's mindset change you know even the funding mm. like i mentioned to you there's funding available but the mandate doesn't meet the need and so that is the biggest challenge in our space is getting guys to understand that you do want to take these smaller bets but in the long term can pay off quite significantly for these investors and more and more it's a calculated risk because if i look at our cohort of eight this year one exit you know all of the businesses i'm sorry seven of the businesses are revenue generating and they all came in just that pilot, I would say pilot stage, just after ideation. Mm -hmm. And they now are in the growth phase of their mm -hmm. businesses, looking at creating sustainability and scalability for their businesses, which is incredible in a space of less than a year to achieve. And given that their mm -hmm. businesses were founding during the founded during the pandemic. What, was there any, has there been any Elon Musk effect? I mean, here's a, uh... Is he the richest man, if uh, one of the richest men in the world at worst, uh, even after he just bought Twitter? Uh, he is South African, though he, you know, he, he pursued, pursued his dreams here in the U.S. Um, do, do kids grow up in South Africa wanting to be Elon Musk or, or wanting or dreaming the entrepreneurial dream that lots of people do here in the United States and around the world? Is that, is that considered a bridge too far in South Africa, or do you start to see some people thinking that way? Oh, most definitely they're thinking that way. I mean, our first cohort, most of our cohort was the average age of each founder was probably 24, 23. Some guys were just out of university. And there's an organization I'd like to credit specifically for that drive. Um, it's called the Alan Gray Orbis Foundation. And, um, they have done amazing work in they provide scholarships to, you know, children that are in grade seven. I don't know what the equivalent would be in the States, but maybe like it's uh, middle school from middle school onwards um, in, and including into university, a very generous scholarship. But the key of that scholarship is it's, it's underpinned by um, an entrepreneurial program. So they literally are grooming top top talent around the country from a very young age and instilling an entrepreneurial mindset. And there's many other organizations like that. And 
thanks to the, you know, I think access to the internet, you're finding more and more kids have access to understanding who Elon Musk is to begin with and wanting to mimic that, you know, that sentiment, that, that ethos um, and are reading and picking up books and all following pages on Instagram that speaks about entrepreneurship. The truth is there's a, I don't think we, we're lacking. Sorry, go ahead, Michael. No, no, keep going, Amina. I don't forgive me for interrupting. You go. You keep going. No, no. Um, Igo, so I just think that the tr- the truth is, it isn't necessarily a lack of mindset. It's it's like what I mentioned to you is that you can have these this incredible talent. You can have the ideas coming about, but what I think differentiates us to other countries is the space to play. You know, even our universities, I think we need to build a stronger ecosystem that includes universities, um, you know, includes ecosystem builders and investors. And at the moment, I think we're making strides in that space. But that is one of the challenges is I think when you're doing your master's, you know, at MIT, you can easily just how the, the, this ecosystem is set up. It's, it's so much easier to launch a business because while you are doing a master's thesis, you're building this business, you've got your professor's input, they have access to network, um, you know, just from, your, you, I suppose, the university itself, but also the access to network of, of VCs to come on board. And so you have the opportunity to test and play around and explore and experiment, which is what I think is the hindrance in our space is that there isn't funding geared towards that. And it does pay off because when we started, um, I would say we probably had a 10% hit rate. So from our cohort, 10% of the businesses would go on to shoot the lights out, which is still, I think, pretty solid, <laughs> you know, considering. Um, but now, no, you know, 50, no, 50% terrible. of our cohort is are, are becoming, I would say, to be to be conservative, at least 30% of our cohort will, will go on to shoot the lights out post our program. So it does show a shift in the maturity of the entrepreneurs and the ecosystem. It's just a pity that, Whilst the ecosystem is maturing and you're finding these um, evolved ideas and more validation of these ideas um, and, and a, a lot stronger products um, and with stronger entrepreneurs and, and co-founders, what's missing is the funding to, to match those ambitions. And I think it's a, it's a multi-pronged issue because you can't just blame investors. You can't, it's not, there's no, not about blame. It's like, how do we coordinate this funding in a way which is, uh, provides a consistent experience for the entrepreneurs? Because at the moment, what we're finding is it's a fragmented space. We have multiple accelerators, which are teaching, you know, the same types of principles. And these talented entrepreneurs are having to go through the same type of accelerators just to get access to that funding to, to do customer discovery or to, you know, further the ambitions of their business because the funding isn't available out there. It's Mm. mostly available through the accelerators that exist. Yeah, it sounds like a challenging environment. Um, Amina, I, I wanted to ask you, I haven't gotten, um, a chance to really ask you about how you got to where you are. So what, what is your background and how did this happen for you? How did you get into the startup space? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, I've been passionate since I was a child about entrepreneurship. I just wasn't sure if I was going to be an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur, um, and so for me, it's just business, you know, I was just like, I wasn't thinking tech at the time. Um, and then I actually got a scholarship from Alan Gray Orbis Foundation and they provided that support to me. You know, I got access to the most incredible mentors um, and went on an entrepreneurial program where we had to run our own businesses. And this was, I don't know what, now I can't even remember, like 12, 
probably like 14 years ago. I can't remember anymore. Um, and what was incredibly useful is just the exposure um, that I got set me apart from my peers because I actually did, I took the road less traveled. I struggled at varsity to complete my undergraduate. I had to go and work um, because I lost my scholarship. And so I really started from the bottom. I you know, was a receptionist at some point, but I worked for organizations that were all investing in um, startup businesses or I, I would say um, small to medium enterprises. So I got exposed to understanding how those deals were done. And I, where I was most passionate about is I saw how the deals were done, but I often felt what was lacking in the space was a sense of post-investment management support for the businesses that were invested in. Because, you know, often there's a like, huge ROI attached to the deal, which, you know, we, we, when a deal's done, you know what the gaps of that business are, but there aren't often resources provided to closing those gaps to make sure that we de-risk those investments so they can give us back the ROI. And then I, um, you know, pretty much networked myself into a role uh, at a company called Edge Growth, and they invest significantly in um, the SME space, which is the small to medium enterprise space. They're actually one of the largest Mm -hmm. um, impact investors in South Africa. And I joined them when they were pretty much a startup with 10 employees and grew with the organization until there were about 100 employees. But by working with them, I had the opportunity to um, by working with them, I had the opportunity to develop strategies um, and design programs that really help corporates understand how they could use some of the spend, which is required from a legislative perspective to invest in small to medium enterprises. And the reason why those corporates have to spend that money is because it's required by law in order for them to maintain their licenses to trade. So, you know, our big ethos at at the organization at that time was really about creating shared value. So corporate venturing in a nutshell, (laughs) but across the value chain, you know, looking at customers, look at the supply chain, and and there was strong bias towards the supply chain. So I work with a number of organizations um, across industries, you know, anything from um, the alcohol industry to uh, petrochemical, and, and that you know, really spark the fire, I think, or, or, or spark, or what, what could I say, uh, flamed the fire <laughs> even brighter for me um, because I got to work with incredible organizations that were passionate about building or, or at least contributing to growing scalable and sustainable businesses mm-hmm. in a values-driven organization, which still had a commercial lens. So I had the best of all the worlds. And by working with Edge Growth, I actually mm-hmm. did a piece of work, strategy work for Rand Merchant Investments and that's when, through working with them in designing in Alpha Code Incubate, which is now our flagship, um, you know, acceleration program in South Africa, um, they asked me to come on board full time onto the Alpha Code team. And so that's sort of the evolution of of uh, where I started and where I am. And I studied studied accounting um, and thought, no, I can't be a chartered accountant. I think in in the states it's a CPA. I was like, no, this is like, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> My brain, it's, it's not geared to, to do that all day, but I, I want to make a difference and I want to yeah. work with um, incredible talent. And that's where I find myself more on the entrepreneurial side, but, you know, hopefully one day I'll make the leap into the entrepreneurial side. Well, let me ask you uh, before I let you go. So within South Africa, of course, we all know the history of apartheid and the, you know, the difficulties that have come with that historically. Um, have you, uh, in, in your program, I'm kind of curious, uh, well, two things, whether 
how many entrepreneurs of color? You mentioned five women, which is great. And uh, that's a big number. But also, how many entrepreneurs of color out of the 10? And um, is it, I'm assuming it's significantly more difficult for them uh, to break through in South Africa. How about those two questions? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So Alpha Code Incubate was actually de- designed with a diversity lens. And so our cohort is often an 80%, 20% split, 80% um, really looking at, uh, you know, black owned businesses as guided by the legislation in our country. And 20% would be other. So you could come from any other country or you could be any other race or you know, I suppose outside of the the the, re- the legislative requirement, so we maintain right. that eighty twenty split. Um, and to answer your question about it being a little bit more difficult, I I think what the challenge has been because of our history is access to network capital, and it's like you mentioned earlier. You know, as much as um, I think seeing your parents run their own businesses and having access to that capital to start your own business to play around with your own business. Um, even if it fails, is is an opportunity that most black uh, black owned businesses. When I say black owned, or uh, you know, in, in South Africa, black is quite broad. It's there's coloured Indian um, and African that are included, and even Chinese people if they came mm-hmm. to South Africa pre ninety four. So um, mm-hmm. it's it's quite vast. So that's what black is considered in South Africa. And I think the challenge is if you haven't seen that and you haven't got access to that capital, it makes it hard for you to even think about going into the space. Add another nuance, a social nuance of something called black tax, which is if I'm the first generation to go and get a degree, more often than not, financially, I'm also responsible for the rest of the family. I'm probably earning, I'm a breadwinner in my family Mm. and not just my immediate family, my extended family which means that I actually need my job to pay all of those bills, um, not only for myself, but for my extended and my immediate family. And that's where the challenge comes in because it's harder to take risks from that perspective. It's, it's harder for me to want to leave my job uh, and just, just you know, follow my passion of, of driving this idea. And that's why programs like Alpha Code yeah. and others yeah, in the space right. are absolutely critical to the success of these types of entrepreneurs. Well, we're out of time. Amina, you are a uh, incredibly art- articulate spokesperson for uh, startups in South Africa. And uh, of course, we, we wish you all the best and we thank you for being with us today on The Accelerator. Great to have you. Thank you so much, Michael, for having me. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. And this has been The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. We're on all the podcast platforms on YouTube as well. Subscribe to us, give us a rating, tell us you love us, or tell us why you don't. We don't care. It doesn't matter. We're, we're here to learn. It's always, uh, and we can pivot too, I guess you could say, but really appreciate your being here with us. And we'll be back with another podcast before you know it.